In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the latest in the James Harden trade rumors and then pivot to talk about what we're looking to see from the Sixers in the upcoming preseason schedule. Head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixersbeat to get a discounted offer on a yearly subscription to The Athletic. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of The Athletic's podcast network. How you doing, Rich? It's been a minute. Has been a minute. It's been a lot of training camp. Everything is going great. Everything is great. Danny Green's going to make Ben Simmons shoot. The vibes, I've never heard vibes so many times in my life. The vibes are fantastic. We had a spirit mentioned the other day. Good vibes, good spirit. They're shooting the ball. We're going to see pick and rolls. Everything is rosy. Can, can we talk about how ridiculous this this is right now, what, our, our coverage of this training camp? It's, like it's our absurd. coverage specifically? I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with you or just no, coverage no, no. in general. No, no, not, not our coverage I was going to say, is there something I have done that you are objecting to? No, no, no. What I'm saying is that even during a normal year, you know, what do we get in for like 10 minutes at the end of practice? And that's not even every day, right? Yeah. That seems like so much compared to what we have right now. It's, hey, Doc, you know, we saw a video on the, the team website yesterday of of all made shots. Is that what's going on out there? Like, it's just ridiculous. Right I'd, now. I'd kill for 10 minutes right now. And like every now and then you get a, a practice and a, a an actual scrimmage and it was fantastic. We're getting none. Of, I had somebody ask me, what does Dakota Mathias look like? I have no fucking idea. You have as much idea of what Dakota Mathias looks like on the Sixers as I do. I will say, Dwight Howard the other day mentioned Dakota Mathias in his uh, here's who I'm running with on the second team speech, while also calling Furkan Korkmaz Corky, which honestly <laughs> highlight of training camp so far. Yeah, it's just a lot of like, you know, everything is great. And, and Doc Rivers, to his credit, is like, yeah, we look great, but we're scrimmaging against yeah. ourselves. So, you know, that doesn't mean anything. I, I guess the, the problem is, or it's not the problem, but... Because there is already a lot of optimism with this team anyway, it just lends into the, oh man, I mean, this has been such a great training camp so far. And it will be nice uh, nice to see them uh, play somebody else. It's like the when I covered football, they were, they were always big on like the first preseason game. A reporter would walk up to the, the, the Eagles and, and would just ask everybody the same question. How's it going to feel to hit somebody with the with another jersey on or something like that? And it's um, that was like a lame question to ask, but I am happy. I will uh, thoroughly enjoy them playing against uh, another team because uh, we can't see them play against anybody right now. Yeah, and that I mean that brings us up. We have a our first preseason game on Tuesday, first of two, and then we have you know pretty much we're a, ten days away, a little over a week away from uh, the games counting which is is such a strange season because on the one hand, you've got the Sixers who it feels like they just stopped playing like a week ago. And then you have, you know, free agency in the draft that just happened. They just changed their coach, their GM. There's everything has been going on. On the other hand, you have teams like the Atlanta Hawks who haven't played a game of basketball in nine months. So you've got these super rested teams that haven't been playing in what feels like an eternity. And then you've got people like the Sixers who have remade everything and have just finished playing basketball. It is going to be a 
interesting start to the season. It'll be interesting to see how the Sixers handle these two preseason games. Because on the one hand, like you want to be cautious with your stars. You want to make sure that nobody is nicked up or injured or overworked. On the other hand, you haven't seen the starting five play at all. And you want to get some real minutes with them, with some of these new lineup combinations that Doc has been talking about that they've been cooking up in the lab. I sort of already hate that phrase. I'm not a huge fan of the lab. You're playing basketball. It's not sending people to the moon, but whatever. Okay, the lab. He loves it. The he lab. Loves it. He loves it. It, it, it. It's. I mean, this can get going real quickly. But before we even talk about the team, we have to talk about someone who is not on the team because the James Harden rumors will not die. And they're not going to die for a little bit. So just, like, calm down. Um, I, here's what I'll say. When a regular season talk gets started, I don't really want to talk about James Harden too much unless there's a real legitimate rumor, you know, something real concrete that we have we have to address. So maybe this is the right time to get it out of the way anyway, uh, because I there is a pretty big part of me that thinks this is going to drag out for a little bit here. But, you know, we had, what was it? I think it was Sham Sarania uh, said that the, um, you know, Harden has basically increased his list of teams that he would be traded to. What he added? He had Brooklyn and Philadelphia, which uh, Sharani has always reported. And then you had um, Milwaukee and Miami were the other two teams added to that list. And then you had Mark Stein, who said, while acknowledging that the Sixers are not making Ben Simmons available and that the, uh, you know, that the Rockets want Ben Simmons, he feels that the Sixers are in the front runner or, or are the front runner to get James Harden when everything shakes out. But you've sort of had those two pieces. And also, I think Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN did then mention that the Sixers are on James Harden list. And for a while there, he was only reporting Brooklyn. All right. So I guess let's take a step back. You know, I uh, let's get this one out of the way, first of all. You know, I've had a lot. I see a lot of Sixers fans, Reddit, Twitter, people coming up to me in real life. Why do this? Wait, wait, did anybody really actually come up to you in real oh, life? Of course. Everyone wants to talk about James. Not everyone, but like there are people who know what I do professionally that maybe knew me from a, a previous life. Hey, what's going on with James Harden? Like, yeah, that happens. Um, I like the time we were walking on the city street and I had to uh, take a picture of the guy who wanted wanted to take a picture with you. You know, <laughs> felt, never, never felt like such a bum in my life. <laughs> well, do you remember when, when someone yelled for us when Brian Colangelo was sitting right next to us? Brian was not too happy that we got noticed before he did, but different podcast. Uh, I, actually, was up in, I actually don't remember that. That was up in I Boston feel, when we were, anyway, it doesn't matter. Now I feel great about myself though. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but people want to know like, what, why do the Sixers have to include Ben Simmons when Brooklyn doesn't have to include Kyrie or KD? Well, first of all, if you, if you read the reporting, what Brooklyn's offering isn't getting done. So theoretically they would have to include Kyrie or KD, and quite frankly, I think they should include Kyrie, but that's a, a different uh, conversation. But the reason is that the Sixers offer without Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid just does not beat Brooklyn's offer. Like, no. you've got the Sixers, you know, Brooklyn has two positive assets they can use to match salary. They have Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie. Not Peter. Peter's not going to get this done. They have Spencer Dinwiddie. So that those are two positive asset players on on sizable contracts right now, especially after trading Al Horford, the only way a Sixers can match a salary until the trade deadline is with Tobias Harris. He's a huge negative contract. I mean, you're talking about one of the worst contracts in all of basketball. That is a negative, on, and you're talking about a 26 year old who's, I think, going to turn 27 this year. 
on one of the worst contracts in all of basketball to a rebuilding team. That's a huge negative asset in these discussions. You don't have enough to overcome that. So the reason why the Sixers would quote unquote have to include Ben Simmons when that's wouldn't have to include KD or Kyrie, which I think the Nets would have to include one of those two, but it's because the Nets offer just right off the bat trumps the Sixers. So whether or not the Sixers should include Ben Simmons is a different argument. They would have to beat, they would have to include Ben Simmons to trump Brooklyn's offer. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. But you, you are being a pawn for, uh, for including <laughs> well, Kyrie. We can get to that later. That's a, anyway. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think the Sixers asset base, and again, like let's, let's start with the, the old Sam Hinkie disclaimer. I don't want to call players assets. I don't know what to call them when, when we're talking about trades. Yeah, you're, you're a combination of contracts and talent and draft picks. We'll just lump Ass- them all together and call them assets. Yeah. Assets are people too. Right. And, and people are assets too. Yes. Sure. So if you look at what the Sixers have to trade, they, they have a very defined hierarchy. They have two A-plus things. A-plus things. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Then... They probably don't have a B-level asset. They probably don't even have a C-level asset, you know, if, if we're going to get that specific. Then they have, like, Shake, Matisse, their own picks, which are going to be crappy. Maybe if you if you gave their pick seven years from now, they probably can't even do that because of the, the Horford trade, right? That, that would complicate things, too, with all of the protections on that. They really have one A-plus thing to give. Um, and, yeah, it's just what Brooklyn has. I don't think that is a good offer, by the way for for James Harden. No, that's Ke- not that the only way that wins the James Harden sweepstakes if it's, if James Harden says that is the only place I'm going. Yeah. So it, it's not a, a great group of uh but it's like, better than what the Sixers can offer without their two A-listers. It's much better. Yeah. LeVert especially like he just has a higher ceiling now. I mean, I think LeVert is a pretty divisive player. He's one of those guys that you watch him you know, a couple times a year. I mean, I feel like he always plays really well against the Sixers, and you're like, oh, man, this guy's got a lot of talent. Then you, you click on the old basketball reference and go, ooh, man, those numbers are not – man, guy can't make a two-point field goal. But, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that they would have to give up Ben Simmons. Now, I will say, like, just, like, analyzing this whole thing before we even dig more into the Sixers, I think Houston is completely screwed here because James Harden – First off, he's lighting his, I don't want to say trade value on fire because he's not becoming a worse basketball player. He's not behaving in a way that like I would be gung-ho on trading for him. And he already had questions anyway because he wants new players every year. Dwight Howard, that didn't work. Okay, maybe that wasn't James Harden. Chris Paul, that didn't work. Oh, that's James Harden. Russell Westbrook didn't work. That's your friend who you pushed to trade to Houston. And I mean, now you're making it because... So, like, all of, of, of NBA basketball right now is catering to stars because you have to, because they have all the power, because they're the reason that you, um, they're everything about building a champion. But by the same token, like, A, you have to you have to do what they want. You have to cater them. You have to bring in the stars that they want. And, by the way, if those stars that they want don't work out, they're bouncing anyway and leaving you out to dry. It's a real tough spot that teams and GMs are, are in right now. And I think the Harden situation certainly shows that. He is 31 years old. He theoretically should age okay. I mean, obviously he doesn't take the greatest care of his body. He's got a dad bod at thirty-one. Yeah. Hey, so do I. You know, I mean, <laughs> so it's it's all good. But and I'm left-handed too. But uh, he, yeah, it, he's like it's a question of like how long can he keep this insane level of 
offensive efficiency and volume, you know, how long can he keep it up? And and there are elements, like you said, that, that might not age well. There are some other things that he's he's got a very skill-based game and maybe, yep. you know, all of the crafty BS foul drawing like that, that should work into the future. So I, I'm saying this because like, it doesn't feel like Levert and Dinwiddie and, and all those, those guys are enough for a 31-year-old MVP candidate, like one of the five best players in the NBA or six, whatever, whatever that top hierarchy is, he's in it. Like he, he is that good, but it's just, you know, 31 years old. He's only under contract for two more years. Sounds like he might want to play in Brooklyn. And then you got to pay the next contract for him. If you, if you trade for him realistically. So I like, you know, it's been very divisive on, on Sixers Twitter. Oh, they got to make the move for him now. Oh no, I, I can't make the move. I, I can see it from a bunch of different angles, but like there is like a serious amount of risk in any like any way you make this deal. I will say though, like Houston, like from the Sixers stamp standpoint, if you're dealing with them, they reportedly want a top level star or kind of like a young star. Maybe not obviously not as good as James Harden because none of the other five players that are as good as him are getting traded from. And they want a Drew Holiday Hall of Picks. Yeah. Milwaukee ruined everything for everybody with sending all of that stuff for Drew. And maybe it works out for them because they get to keep Giannis and then it's an okay trade, I guess. But holy shit, man. The Sixers are not trading Ben Simmons and a full like number of picks. If it was James Harden and Joel Embiid, that could be terrible in like three or four years. Yeah. You don't want to screw yourself the next 10. Now, I get it. Like You, you want to go for the championship or whatever. But I'm just saying, like, from the Sixers standpoint, all of the other offers I have seen, to me, Ben Simmons by himself is better than the rest of them. Yeah, and that's sort of the calculus. So, like, I guess a couple things, because there's a whole bunch of discussion here, and I have opinions on, like, all these different, um, you know, all of these different arguments that are being made. So, like, a lot of people, well, why are why are they, why are we only talking about trading Ben Simmons and not Joel Embiid? Why are we not talking about pairing... Um, you know, James Harden and Ben Simmons. Well, first of all, you have to think that Houston would value Ben Simmons over Joel Embiid. Like I, jo- Joel Embiid's a 26-year-old with lower body injuries whose centers don't always age all that well anyway. And you're talking about a team who's who's rebuilding on the fly. Like, they want the, they want the 24-year-old who's in insane shape, you know, who has, theoretically has eight years of his prime left, if not more. They're in the very weird spot that Joel Embiid is bar none a better player than Ben Simmons. And I think Ben Simmons bar none has more trade value than Joel Embiid. Well, and not only that, but so like Houston would most likely prioritize uh, Ben Simmons over Joel Embiid and by a pretty significant margin. But by the same token, Joel Embiid is a better player right now. And that's what the Sixers would want to pair with James Harden. So that that's why there's so much, I think, discussion around Ben Simmons. It's not because Ben Simmons is a bad player or a even a bad fit with James Harden. Although there's, that would be an interesting, um, you know, Ben would concede a lot more than he ever has. That's for sure. But I think, I think it comes down to, like I said, I think Houston would prioritize Ben Simmons. And I think the Sixers realizing that they're trying to build an NBA championship, a champion around James Harden right now would view Joel Embiid as a better pairing for that. So I think that's why you're hearing all the chatter around, uh, around Simmons. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. 
If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-0711 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager and not only not only that like you know obviously like the the talent gap is there is a or uh, sorry not talent gap like the level of play gap between Embiid and Simmons is high. Embiid fits better with Harden. That That is a nice pairing if you would get those two guys together. Now, obviously, like I think there's a, a major question of what happens when Harden goes to a different team. Because if he went to Brooklyn and he had to play with Kyrie and KD, or even if he just had to play with KD, I mean, the amount of time he has the ball in his hands oh, yeah. in Houston, yeah. it's insane. I mean, it's I think Zach Lowe has said it a few times. Like He would have to figure out again how to play normal basketball. Yep. And that's really, it's like not a knock on him because he plays this crazy style that is completely tailored to him. And I would say on the defensive end, the Rockets have made a lot of concessions to cover up his weaknesses. It, it They play that way on offense because he's like so unique. And with all those ISOs and step backs, he can handle an offensive load that really, I don't think any other player in the NBA can handle. So if he went to the Sixers and Embiid, was kind of the his his running mate. I feel like the transition would be less for him. He yeah. maybe he wouldn't be able to monopolize the ball as much as he did in Houston, but but it wouldn't be as big of an adjustment as it would be going to Miami or the Nets or something yeah. like that. And he would, I mean, he would be the clear number one in Philly. Like Joel Embiid would have to make a pretty major concession in how his style, how he would play stylistically. I'd um, love to know what he thinks about it. Yeah, I, I mean, look, there was a point where Joel Embiid, I truthfully believe, he felt like his role in the NBA was was defense. He did not need to be a number one offensive option. I don't think he 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 thinks that way right now. Like, I think he wants to score thirty, and I I think he wants to be in those MVP conversations. If James Harden comes here, he's not he's not scoring thirty a night. I don't know what no. he's going to score. I don't know what his like. There will be times he will be the number one option on the court. There will be times when James Harden is taking a break or when he has a matchup to exploit, but it's not going to be all the time. It's not going to be every night. Uh, is And it's not going to be down the stretch. And is, is he okay with that? And there's a lot of questions you have to ask. And I, I sort of alluded to this. And I mean, you mentioned it up, mentioned it with his track, James Harden's track record with co-stars. Like if you make this trade, 
you have to be, you really have to believe that you're getting three to five because I think a lot of people you you can't have one and a half years where no it's, you can't. oh do they like each other like you can't have that and I think a lot of people view Simmons and Embiid and they say well why would you give up on eight years of championship equity with this duo you don't have eight years of championship equity that's 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 fairy tale stuff that does not happen in today's NBA especially not when you're three years into it right now um, what you're probably you probably have two years. And if it doesn't work out there, then there's a real chance that one of those two are going to be moved. And this isn't me saying like, oh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid hate each other. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying when you look at the history of the NBA, like that kind of pressure and struggles and not reaching expectations, like that will that fractures stuff. You will have Team Joel, you have Team Ben Simmons. They will both be telling each other that, hey, it's not your fault. You will have so many people in each other's ears. And one of them, there's just a very good chance. And again, this isn't, as much Simmons and Embiid as it is just how the NBA works, where one of them will say, hey, you know what? If this team was tailored towards me, if I was given the reins to a team, if I was, if, if, if they were prioritizing my skill set, I could achieve greater heights. And that's just sort of like, that's just an inevitability of superstar pairings. Mm. You don't get the other pieces around them right. So okay, really what happens is... That's important. That's important to put it that way. Like if they get it right, I think they could... A hundred percent. And they could have five plus more. Again, I tried to preface this with saying, like, I'm not saying Joel and Ben Simmons can't work. I'm not saying that they don't like playing each other, but there's just like, there's a pressure to get it right. So you either have, I think if, if they're together in three years, that means it's worked. And then you might have five or six years, or the other option is it hasn't worked in two years and you've got to pick one or the other to build around. And at that point, it gets a little bit tougher to build around Joel because you've wasted two years of his prime. So really, if you trade, let's say, Ben Simmons for James Harden, you're increasing your chances over the next three years with the concession that when it's over, it could turn bad really pretty bad. quickly. Really um, bad. Because both of them will be age- at the wrong spot of their aging curves. You won't have a prime asset to recoup assets. So you're saying like, okay, three years, we think we can build a real contender. Maybe they can age gracefully and you can get five years out of it. But it's sort of like that four through seven range that you might have had with Embiid if things worked out between them that you're conceding. And in order for that to be worth it, you really have to believe you're getting three to five years with 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 Embiid and Harden. Otherwise, that's when it becomes really, really damaging. And that's the part that I really don't know how to gauge. I don't know James Harden as a person. I know about the media reports. I know what us pawns in the media say. I do not know what has gone into those pairings not working. Luckily, the Sixers have the one person on the planet yeah. who probably has a pretty good idea. Now, does that mean he's going to get the I, answer? That's, that's not a small point. No. Like, for for somebody who is has to make this major decision and weigh all of these factors, you could not have a better person on this one topic than Darren Moore. Yeah. Now, again, does that mean he's going to get it right? No. It means he has more information than you or I or anyone else listening to this podcast. And that's, like, I don't like saying like you have to like defer to NBA GMs because quite frankly, especially the more you, you watch, they get a lot of shit wrong. They get a they, lot of shit. I wrong. get a lot of shit wrong. They get a lot of shit wrong. That will always be the case. You should always question them. That is one instance where they just have way more information about this. It is a real threat though. It is a, like, you cannot be in a spot where in 18 months it's like, well, we got to get rid of Embiid because James isn't happy or we got to get rid of James because he's now 33 and he's, acting like he's 26 and the franchise should be built around him. Like you've got, you've got to know what you're getting yourself into. There are a lot of different factors here. I mean, I would say like, if you do come to that point that you mentioned and you know, the Sixers finally 
get there and say, hey, you know, this this isn't going to work as far as like winning a championship goes. And and they they finally decide to cross the Rubicon and, and trade one of them. Could you get something better for Ben Simmons in a year yeah, and a half? Who knows? I mean, what if he gets better and for just some reason it doesn't work out? Or maybe like it's clear that he is the person who you would want to have on your team for the next five years. I, I think that is like it a is, major part of this. It is. I do think this is a pretty unique opportunity, though. Like players sure. who have two, theoretically three years on our contract, who are MVP caliber and who fit with your star. Like it is just like. If you're boxed in where you have to trade Simmons and Embiid because it's obvious to the league that they don't work together, like then you're dependent on what stars are available at that time. Yeah. Whereas if you're just willing to pounce when the best one becomes available, you have a chance of getting a, a greater return and a greater return that actually does lift your championship chances while Joel Embiid is still in his prime. Uh, it is. I, it's, I think it's, it's really co- fascinating. It's it's a really it's a tough question. I mean. I, I really, the one thing I will say, and, and I would say that I'm probably a little less gung ho on making this move um, for a lot of reasons, just concerned about how hard and will age. There always is the question of hanging over this is of, is Ben Simmons going to get better? Is he going to make some sort of tangible improvement, whether that's the jump shot or find some way to be a, a more effective playoff half-court offensive player. I think that's a very important part of this, too. Uh, or is he just going to be, you know, third-team, all-NBA, all-star person? Because it, it is really important to say the difference between third-team, all-NBA, all-star, and whatever James Harden is right now, it is a massive yeah. difference. It's not like he's on the third-team, all-NBA. That's pretty close to the first team. Nope. No, it isn't. Not, not in this case. And, and so I do think, like, Regardless of what you think about this situation, I think it's fair to say, like, if James Harden is willing to play for the Sixers and is not going to sabotage them like it seems like he sabotaged the last couple of weeks in Houston, they would be a better team if they swapped him for Ben Simmons right now. Yep. And the question is, how much better would they be? How long would they be that good for? How long would it take to get the supporting pieces around those two? Could you do yeah. that in a trade deadline or an off season? Like that—that's a real question mark. So it's—I mean—it's a fascinating thing. I—I I, I don't, it, you know, obviously we've—you uh, know—we've talked around this for a while, and like, there's obviously the question of like, would we do it? Um, I think it's it's something you'd certainly have to consider. Now, the the one thing I will say is that Daryl Morey, at least publicly, and look, I haven't been around Daryl Morey too long. Man, he is really pumping up Ben Simmons publicly, which well, he, ha- he I mean, yeah, he he has to. I mean, but like he he says some stuff like I think he said a thing on Instagram like Ben Simmons is going to have a great season for the Sixers this year. He might have said MVP candidate Ben Simmons. Now, okay, maybe that doesn't matter. I'll just trade him for Harden. Who cares or whatever. Uh, it really, I mean, it, it would be kind of funny if they traded him right now after all of the gassing up that he and Doc Rivers did. And I mean, you, you have heard reports that like Daryl Morey wants to see what the Embiid Simmons duo looks like sure, with I'm sure an does. actual functional team that fits sure. around them. So we'll see. So I, I guess it sort of dovetails another sort of question I got online, not 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 in real life. They basically like 
said that, well, if, if the Sixers were actually interested or willing to discuss trading Simmons, then you would hear reports from other teams because the Sixers would be shopping him to see what the best offer was. You can't do that. Like, once you start shopping a star, you have, get, you have pretty much guaranteed that there will be a breakup. Um, it is one thing for Ben Simmons to hear reports that Houston wants him for James Harden. You can reconcile that with in your organization. Like, hey, Ben, you know, Houston was reaching out to us. Uh, we we listened, but there was no real active discussions. And by the way, it's James Harden. It's not a slight on you at all. Once you hear that you are, once Ben Simmons or Rich Paul hears that the Sixers are actively calling teams about Ben Simmons, that's when it becomes the, the internal um, sort of narrative can build out of control. You cannot shop your star unless they a- actively want to be shopped. So the fact that you're not hearing reports from other teams about Ben Simmons' availability, like, of course, and, and by the way, other teams, you don't have to reach out to other teams to find out what the, how the league values him and what they're willing to trade. But it would be, you know, organizational suicide for the Sixers to be going out to 28 other teams. And, hey, what would you give for Ben Simmons? You, just, you can't do that with a star player like that. Um, and, I mean, by the same token, like, you... He has to, I mean, look, Daryl Morey, for all he, he, he's, he's done, like, he kisses the ass of superstars. Like, that's what he did in Houston. And he has to do that here because, he, I mean, these are the most powerful people in an organization. But you've got Josh Harris, then you've got Joel Embiid, and then you've got Ben Simmons. And that's a Sixers organizational hierarchy. That's the way it was with Brett Brown here and with Elton Brand as a GM and Alex Rucker and all of those guys. And that's the way it is with Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers. That's the reality of the NBA. You have to make sure they feel wanted and appreciated because otherwise, I mean, it, it, it can, it can snowball very quickly. So do I think Daryl Morey wants to see what this looks like with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and the new pieces he added in Doc's river system? Of course. Does that mean that Daryl Morey wouldn't trade him? I don't know. And like you said, know. we, we haven't covered Daryl Morey. And that's a bit like, I, th- I think one thing you and I do reasonably well is, is we can sort of like get in the heads of the people that we're covering. I think we did that pretty well with Brett and certainly with Sam and to lesser degrees of GMs, um, the front offices between them. I don't, I, I know Daryl as a NBA fan and reporter that I, like from other people's coverage, I know Daryl. Would he trade Ben Simmons for, for James Harden? I don't know. I don't know. And I think, I, you know, I, I mentioned this on Twitter right now. It, 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 it behooves everyone other than James Harden to watch this play out. Like, I think Houston wants to see what other teams are willing to offer when we get closer to the deadline. I think... But I think the Sixers want that too, right? Yeah, well, the Sixers, I think the Sixers want to see what they have. I think they want to see, you know, some teams right now who might be optimistic might go in the tank and you're not trading James Harden to a non-contender, so that might shrink the pool of available teams. But I think the Sixers also want to see how they look too. So unless James Harden comes out and, and... the way I phrase it was unless James Harden comes out and really has a Jimmy Butler in Minnesota kind of third stringers and fuck you, you need me and can't win without me. Like unless that happens during training camp, then I think we probably, this goes on until uh, certainly closer to the deadline when some of these contracts can be traded again. And when teams, the pervasive optimism that teams have has, has faded a little bit. I would say though, as somebody who has kind of been agonizing, thinking about you know, would you trade Ben Simmons? Would you not trade Ben Simmons? I cannot emphasize this enough. Do not trade Ben Simmons and the Drew Holiday pick package for 
Ben Simmons. No, you, you need something. Nobody. I've I really now. Maybe it changes. Maybe like you said, in a couple of months, one team gets desperate and there's some superstar that I guess appeals to Houston. Man, I if it's Ben Simmons that played last year, I find it really hard to think somebody's going to beat Ben Simmons really by himself as yeah. an offer, um, which is kind of a testament to as frustrating as he can be. He's he's pretty damn good. No, I mean right right now it behooves like Houston is. This is not the time of the year to trade superstars. It's just it's it's tough to get the best package from teams. So it behooves Houston like, hey, if I am going to trade him now, when I know I'm not getting other teams' best offers, you're going to have to blow me away. And I think right now what they're asking from the Sixers is to make them a godfather offer, so they're not tempted to wait until the trade deadline. Uh, when we get to the trade deadline, that that asking price should come back down to reality a little bit. And, oh, by the way, you're giving Shake Milton a chance to come out. Like, if Shake Milton comes out in the first 20 games averaging 18 points and four assists off the bench and shooting 40% from three, like, that confidence that he is a legit, not just a legit rotation player, but could be a six-man, could be a spot starter type, could even be maybe some team overvalues him. Like, maybe he can get worked in where these are yeah. conversations. Who knows? Maybe things pop, and you don't really don't need to offer Ben Simmons. I, I doubt that, but... Who knows? You know, who well, it, it helps the Sixers to at least see that out. And, and you know, I, I don't want to be a Mister. The vibes are amazing in training camp, <laughs> but if they're awesome, you're you're probably less yeah. willing to do that, right? Yep. I mean, you know, again, the the test for this team is always going to be what do they do in the playoffs. But if you come out and you're like fifteen and five out of the gate or something like that probably not going to do it I, I would imagine so it's a uh it's a tough one i uh i have ventured on to twitter uh to see some of the the Uh-oh. fake trades and i found that uh as far as like i, I don't want to i, I don't want to call out everybody but the the rockets twitter man they are they're a very let's put it let's call them an optimistic bunch uh when it comes to some of these trades i've seen a few tweets out there that are like Hey, if James Harden looked at this roster with Christian Wood and John Wall and Boogie Cousins, <laughs> that would be a team he would want to get traded to. And it's like, yeah, I mean, these guys, they have lived a charm life with not having to watch too many bad teams over the past, <laughs> let's say, two decades. Because uh, I got a, uh, I think there's going to be a dose of reality that if James Harden is not there, they are not going to be very good. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the question is for them, like, how does James Harden fit with that team? Like they, they made the John Wall trade and I, I think that was an okay trade for them to make. Like they got an extra first round pick uh, for, for moving on from Westbrook. That seemed like a terrible situation. The Westbrook yeah, that, trade is done. Like that's now they're that only at gone. negative three first round picks out of that wall. trade. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and I don't know. I, you know, wall, I, I saw him in a preseason game the other night, you know, preseason games sort of can like be deceiving. Wall. Yeah, he looked he looked okay, but John John Wall was a declining player even before yeah. he suffered probably the worst injury you can get. And and preseason games can be deceiving. You know, I saw Chip Kelly's twenty fifteen team like light up Lambeau Field in preseason, Sam Bradford go nuts. So I, I don't want to put too much stock in that. But uh I just like Harden with that team would be it'd be pretty interesting. I mean, it, it could be like really a really bad chemistry situation if some of those guys sense that he wants out and he is not giving his all. On the other hand, he has a game where I could see him not really giving a shit and still being really good because yeah. w- when he's off the ball and he's locked in, 
Like when he's locked in, he's really trying to compete for a championship and he doesn't have the ball in his hands. He doesn't really give a shit. You know, that's, that's kind of the way he works. It would be really interesting to see how Harden would adapt his game around Embiid. It's interesting to see how Embiid would adapt his game around Harden. Can't, um, can't switch everything in Philadelphia if Joel Embiid is... Uh, like Harden would have to play somewhat normal defense. Yeah. The one thing he is good at on defense is post defense. Yeah. Because he's strong, and uh, you know you're, you're not you're not switching one to five with Joel Embiid. Now, to be fair, he could get blown by, and well, that's what the big fellow is there for. All right, let's switch over to Doc Rivers, uh, and we can wrap this up because I did not expect us to talk 35 minutes about hypothetical trades. So. We'll start this off with sort of like the buzzword of accountability, which has been everyone's favorite topic during um, outside of vibes. Accountability has been one of the favorite topics in training camp. You know, you have a big report from Jovan Buha at The Athletic on sort of what went on in Los Angeles and with Kawhi and Paul George. And then you've had a little bit of sniping in the media, not a little bit, a quite a bit of sniping in the media between Paul George and Doc Rivers. We won't get into all that. Let's just say it goes beyond the basketball court with those two. So you're talking about accountability. I think a lot of people, Sixers fans especially, when they hear accountability, they want Ben Simmons shooting a three-pointer. Like if you just get in his ear and yell at him, Danny Green just gets him to shoot one three a game. He will do that. And then you've got Ben or Joel Embiid and getting in tip-top shape and being as effective in April and May as he is well, typically November, now December, as effective in the fourth quarter as he is in the first quarter. Do you expect Doc Rivers to overcome either of those two obstacles? Who knows? The uh, that, That's the funny thing about the, the Doc Rivers narrative coming in here. Because, you know, it was right after the Clippers lost and they had that major meltdown. But, like, a lot of people were selling the Doc Rivers hire as... Oh, now they have a grown up who can stand up to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. He just oversaw one of the biggest chemistry disasters we've ever seen. I think that was the most talented team in the NBA last yep. year. There is no reason for them to not play at close to a championship level. I mean, honestly, if they would have lost to the Lakers in six or seven games in the Western Conference Finals, Okay, that's. I mean, the Lakers were really good, and and LeBron and AD. That's that's a duo that even the Clippers do not have. They lost to the Nuggets, man. I mean, eh. and just all of the reports about Kawhi Leonard afterwards. Uh, you know, lives in San uh, San Diego. He was late. He uh, basically told th- them when they were practicing. Paul George too. Um, and maybe Doc got to got to play a little more golf, which he likes to uh, on some of those. But yeah, like the idea that he would automatically have the like championship cachet and and, and fix things. I, and I will say, like Doc got asked that question during training camp, and he said, "Well, if you look at my history, I've probably reached some stars, and I probably haven't reached yeah. some. And like you know, the ones that he reached, like those are the ones in Boston, and the ones he didn't." They're the ones in LA, you know, and, and so he, I, I don't know. I mean, like the idea of accountability, it's just, I'm so happy we don't have to talk about it for a little while. Like we, we can actually have like games to talk about, like 
is Ben Simmons diversifying his game? Like we actually can see like maybe he does it and we could say, oh, he's he's doing X, Y, and Z and, and that'll happen. Instead of just saying, man, there wasn't enough accountability yeah. like on this. Day. I just like at some point it just gets so tiring. Um, we'll see. I, I don't think Doc was like a bad choice to uh, to bring on. But the point is, like, whoever you hired, there was going to be this question regardless. Like, it's not a, it's not like if you you bring in James Harden, and it's like, uh, all right, we brought in James Harden. Is uh, is our perimeter shot creation going to get better? Like, yeah, that's a definite yes. But if you bring in any coach, the idea that oh, the team is going to become so much more accountable and and be, you know, a, a much tighter ship run. No, of course not. So there, there, we'll see. there's maybe one or two in the entire league you can say that with. Most of them have won multiple titles and have never left their organizations. And who are the ones you're thinking of? Greg Popovich. And, uh, and Greg Popovich was uh, the Kawhi Leonard thing at the end was happened right there too. too. Of course, of course. And, and Spo, Spo's the other one you would really think of. And um, look, I think by and large, if Ben Simmons comes out and starts shooting, I will give Ben Simmons credit. If Joel Embiid, no, comes no, out, no, I'll give Danny Green credit. <laughs> He staked his claim. He deserves it. If Joel Embiid comes in and he's truly in world-class shape, I will give Joel Embiid credit. And, you know, I think that is... And by the same token, if Ben Simmons comes out and he's not shooting, I'm not really going to blame Doc Rivers. And if Joel Embiid comes back in and he's out of shape, I'm not really going to blame Doc Rivers either. And I think a lot of people, especially our detractors, thought that our sort of stance on that was, like, we don't want to criticize Brett. No, this is how I view coaching and star relationships in the NBA. You need your stars to be self-accountable. And however accountable they are internally is how successful your team is going to be as a culture. So if Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and I think Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are two vastly, we've said this a number of times, but what's holding them back are vastly different. Like Ben Simmons is as finely tuned of an athlete as you will see. He works as hard as you will see most stars work. He buys into a lot of aspects of the game that most stars don't buy into. It's between it's, his ears, man. It's it's just that one aspect that we usually don't have to convince people to try to do that is the case with Ben Simmons. Um, it, it will be him overcoming his fear of failure, stepping outside of his comfort zone. If Joel Embiid really buys in, I will give him a lot of credit for that. I just don't think the coach has as much of an impact as a lot of fans um, think it does. And I think it's, look, I think there's a lot of stuff you can blame Brett Brown for. I think, and like maybe you could blame Brett a couple of years ago because I do think younger players have a better chance of being held accountable, even if they're starting. Although Ben Simmons was a little thick-headed even back then too, but I think as a younger player, you have a better chance. Like a younger Kawhi, well, Kawhi wasn't a star out of the gate, but a younger star-level player, you have a better chance of getting through to. But a lot of these guys, like Joel Embiid, top three pick, like he needs to be internally have an internal drive to hold himself accountable and to set that example. And it's, uh, you know, I think we overstate the impact of coaching in that. And with both of these guys, it's different than do you want to crack an NBA rotation? Do you want a five or $10 million contract life-saving money? No, what these guys are, what we are talking about is the difference between being great and the difference between being champions. Like that's, that's what the difference is. And it's, you know, you would hope that last year, which was so shitty on so many different levels, was kind of their first taste of, you know, hey, like this is this isn't gonna be easy because even during the trying times the previous two years, things were going pretty well. 
both individually and for them uh, as part of the team. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm not going to. Uh, I mean, I mean, like, I, I think you can hold Brett somewhat like account. Like, I think when when you let Brett go, you could say, "All right, like Ben still isn't shooting, regardless of whether I think it's your fault or not. You 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 weren't able to push the right button on this. Maybe a new person can." Just be a little bit of a push in the right oh, direction. I think it's a hundred percent fair to say we need a new voice to see if it can change it. Sure, but 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 ultimately it comes down to the individuals wanting yep. to do it. That's all. Yeah, I do think going back to Danny Green. Look, I think Danny Green being like, "I'm going to walk in here and ask Ben to shoot a three pointer game" is pretty ridiculous. I'm definitely going to listen to that podcast all the time now. That was <laughs> like he he was saying some interesting stuff, man. I do think there's a chance that it's. Maybe not a better chance that a, a player and a peer can get through to a player like that to either player. Like, I mean, with Embiid, like if there was one person who's going to Embiid to really buy into being in world class shape, like you would think Jimmy Butler was. Like that's his pretty much his whole shtick, and he's over the top with it. But it's all absolutely something he believes in. Um, but I do think you need both coaches to sort of sing that tune, and also your players, also your peers, to sing that as well. So I think Danny Green has a role to play but like if let's say ben simmons comes out and he shoots 10 percent credit to the coaching staff 10 percent credit to his teammates now danny green plays a role in that he's some of the percentage of that and then 80 percent to ben simmons and then 100 percent to ben simmons yep exactly all right so moving on you wrote a piece about the adjustments the sixers could make offensively we are already 45 minutes in the podcast we won't go too deep on that but what are you sort of looking for what is it? What what are what are our preseason games? Tuesday and Friday? Nope, I have no Friday idea. Friday or Saturday? One of those two. One of the days after Tuesday, there is a second preseason game. Um, what do you? Against the Pacers, for? I know that one. I know, <laughs> I know, I know where it is. I know I won't be going to it. Uh, that, that is in Indiana. Yeah, that uh, that article. Uh, Which, by the way, with- if the Sixers win their one preseason home game, they will have gone a full calendar year without losing at the Wells Fargo. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I yeah, guess it, it was, was. It was. It was early December when December twentieth, I think, was when they had the week where they they couldn't score against the zone, and that was the only. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Miami and Dallas, I think, was the yeah. games. Yeah, those are the only two. Yeah, so I, I think the the two things that we've heard very consistently this entire week, and to be clear, like the the key word there is heard because we can't see any of this stuff. We're just going on what. Doc every day and a couple of select players. God, I hate Zoom. I hate Zoom. I just human I contact. Record our first podcast on Zoom. I don't mind Zoom in this setting. This, <laughs> this is fine. I mean, we were not, but but interviewing players on Zoom, it just sucks. Um, but it's just what we've heard, and the the two things they have said is that they are going to play faster. And last year they did not play that fast. They were. Uh, I don't know what they ended up in pace. There's a there's a good metric on a. Uh, on unpredictable though, that is better than pace because pace is also a measure of your defense. So, you know, if you're trying to play fast and you're, you're making your opponent grind out these super long possessions on the other end of the floor, you're getting criticized or you're being assigned a slower pace than that. Right. The Sixers, the average length of their offensive possessions though, they were 25th, I think a season ago. Overall pace was 19. Yeah. Okay. So, and I and I think that's over what happened. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's the exact point. Um. So I mean, they're I never di- going to be like a 
top five pace team. But they, you know what's funny? that much of their offense through and beating the post. No, but I think as recently as 2017-18, now to be fair, I bet you that pace picked up at the end during that 16-game winning streak when, when nothing was happening, or uh, when, when MB was out. But they were pretty fast the two previous years. They were top 10 in that metric. And it's it's one of those things where I think every coach who accepts a, a ba- like a basketball coach who accepts a new job at the opening press conferences, we want to play faster. Yeah. I mean, God, you could have who, – who took over for Mike D'Antoni after coaching the seven seconds or less? <laughs> we want to play faster than well, that. Well, like, to be fair, they should have been playing faster. They just didn't know it at the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, they should have. I mean, which I mean, they, that would be a grinded out team right now, which is which is pretty funny. Um, but that's something everybody says, but it's not always done in practice. You know, it's it sounds nice. We're going to play this attractive style of basketball during the the opening press conference, I, and I, I think that the questions with it, and you alluded to this already. If Ben Simmons was the centerpiece of the team, the only centerpiece of the team, sure, let's play fast. You know, like let's. Let's push it as much as possible. But the problem is you, you have Simmons who wants to push it at all times. Then you have MV who, uh, you know, he, he likes to grind it out. And I actually, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I did look on cleaning the glass. Their, uh, their backup units, basically. And, and it also included some games where they miss. But Simmons on the floor without Embiid, Embiid on the floor without Simmons. The difference in pace, man, it was, woof. And to be fair, like Embiid and those backup units, it was a major slog pace-wise. They were awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they killed people. And and Simmons playing fast with Horford, that worked too. So I, I guess that's my question. Can you, can you blend the two? Because Embiid, like when he got asked about that, he rightfully pointed out like, yeah, no, I think I think we can mix it up. But my thing is I want to get better in the half court as a team because that's where we've sucked in the playoffs. And when he said that, I was like nodding along, like, yeah, no, he's he's pretty smart. Like he he gets why this team has struggled, you know, at a certain level the past couple of years. And by the way, to get really better in the playoffs in the half court, I think Embiid has to be your second offensive option, which brings us right back to that hardened discussion and why it's something you strongly consider. Um Oh yeah, no, that's that's a good point. We didn't even talk about that. Like I was thinking, um, you know, you know, they're a good fit together. Yeah, and maybe Simmons' shooting won't work in the half court in the playoffs. And beats post-ups, like, don't work at the level you needed to as a top option in the playoffs. That's for sure. Sorry, so, I just wanted I just wanted to properly assign the blame to, to both of them at sure, the same time. For sure. And when I say blame, just you're not a top five player in the NBA yet. Right, um, right. This, uh, the disclaimer. What did they come in, like thir- 14 and 16 in the ESPN NBA rank? Yeah, it seemed a little harsh on Embiid, but I I, I get it, I get it. I, I, I don't think, think on, he was a top ten last year, so it's right in the area fair. I think on on Partnow's rankings, he had Embiid in the eight to ten range. I yeah. think I think he had it as, and it, it seemed like his rankings were more over the past few years, which is right. is fair. Like, right. I, I think that's probably a better way to do it. And Simmons was sixteen to twenty one. I think it was put, which yeah, I think that's probably about right. They're just they're both so unique because the, the, the playoffs are a completely different sport and they both have strengths and weaknesses for that. I guess the, the, the final thing we'll go to, there's been a lot of talk about pick and roll here or because in part because, I mean, Philly media is obsessed with talking about pick and roll, like just absolutely obsessed. 
Um, in part because Brett ran so little of it. So it's, it's one of the, I don't even think it's that. I just think people like talk and pick and rolls. I mean, what, what you're saying is true. I, I don't think that's why the media is obsessed with it though. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question, but we, every, every press conference we talk about more pick and rolls and, and doc has obviously talked about it. He, he said that there's been an intriguing action. They've run with him beating Simmons without getting into too much detail. <laughs> I assume it has to be some variation of a snug pick and roll. Like that's sort of what you have to do with those two. Well, I guess I just how, love it though. He's like, we, we've done something intriguing, and we're like, well, that's a practice note. He said intriguing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have to take old Doc's word for it. I, I guess what what are you hoping to see out of them adjustment wise in terms of of pick and roll usage? Like, can you shoehorn Simmons into a pick and roll ball handler? I don't know. <laughs> I, the, the, I, snug, I, the snug pick and roll has not worked. No for the pick most and part. roll with him beating Simmons has worked long. Doesn't yeah, work. There I mean, be I, pockets where it's like, oh wow, hey, that was actually intriguing, and then you back up and you look at the numbers, and it has not been. Simmons has his foibles as a pick and roll ball handler because just yeah, go well, under. Shoot. Yeah, he can just go yeah. under. And again, like, look, he can he can beat it at some points, but he, honestly, like, you can go under on him, and he has not been a strong enough driver where he's really punished that to the yep. level. That he needs to. And I think he might be capable. You know what I mean? He obviously, he certainly has the size and the speed and I would say the uh, the stride length to uh, to cover ground quickly. But the other problem is Embiid, pick and roll, it's not his strength either. Um, he's not a vertical spacer. I think the interesting thing, I, I got asked a question in the comments of that article, uh, and, and it was a good one. It was, well, is Embiid being... Or are we being a little harsh on Embiid as a pick and roll finisher because the Reddick two man game like isn't included in his synergy numbers, basically? And I yeah, thought about that a little bit, and, and and perhaps there is a little bit of that. I would say that there are two things though. There, number one, the Reddick two man game happened closer to the basket than a traditional pick and roll. Like the you're setting a screen for a spread pick and roll for most times at the three point line, right? Like, or, or maybe a couple steps outside of it. And Bede was handing the ball off the Reddick at the elbow, which gave him less room to, to kind of cover. And I, I do think like the, the idea of Reddick running the complete opposite direction that Embiid was on that. It was a unique thing, man. I, I don't think that's quite as plug and play as even if you had like an elite player like Dame Lillard, or uh, or Steph Curry. Now I'm sure they would figure it out, but but it it, it certainly I'm not sure you you would plug him in as somebody setting a screen 30 feet from the basket with those guys. Um, so will we see more? I don't know. I mean, honestly, like a, a lot of the things Doc has said, it's like we're having smaller guys set the pick and roll, and it's like Brett Brown had plays where they did All that the stuff, yep. right? Like <laughs> I mean, Mark Furcon setting pick and rolls. It's Furcon, like, yep. I'm thinking like, yeah, I guess. And he, he's like, well, other players could handle the ball and pick and roll. And it's funny. They were still very low in pick and rolls uh, last year. I think they were 28th in, in their frequency. Um, but if you look at it, Tobias got most of them. And that's kind of the big selling point for uh, for his kind of renaissance under Doc again. So I don't, you know, I don't know, man. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Like, I, I think Doc Rivers, the, the good thing about it is, Doc Rivers, regardless of his pick and roll usage, has proven to be, I would say, a smart offensive like ecosystem builder. You know, not his specific individual plays, but I think 
he can take these pieces and probably put them in a decent enough system or or as good of a job as anybody else i love this i didn't get rich hoffman hand talking before like we've got to do this from now on yeah so um we'll see i I don't know i I guess i I, it'll be nice to see more of them but also you know as much as the pick and roll was brett's individual preference it also is the personnel well was not brett's preference yeah the preference Um, not to run them yeah i mean look i think the pick and roll the low pick and roll we've always said the low pick and roll with the, the the with brett and his coaching staff was a lot player driven if you want to like were they targeting players to fit his system like that might be true but like if he would have had tony parker or chris paul would he be running a different system of course he would or montrez uh, harrell right right like works both ways yeah i mean it's 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 do i think like you're just gonna magically put Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid in pick and roll and things are going to work out? Like, no, it's a little more. I mean, do I think they'll run more pick and roll? Yes, of course. Like, both because of Doc and because they've got, you know, Seth Curry and they've got Shake Milton, who's a little more established. And they ran more pick and roll at the end of last year anyway. And you've got a few more options, so they'll run more. He'll probably come in and he'll want to see what Embiid and Sims look like in a pick and roll because traditionally putting your two best players in a pick and roll is is what you want to do. Um, but I don't think you're going to magically and like just the floor being spaced better will allow Ben to run more pick and roll and hopefully have a few more options at his disposal. But like, it's not going to fix everything. Like you still don't have a traditional pick and roll ball handler. You hope Maxi or shake sort of grow into that role. Yeah. And that was kind of the point of the article was, all right, here are the things they're talking about, but let's see how they actually look when, uh, you know, when you're playing against another team. For sure. All right. I think uh, I think that's probably enough. We don't need to push too much past an hour, an hour here. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.